Hello, welcome to I Love Rock and Roll. I'm Ken Krantz. Yes, you are. And that is Chip Chantry. <laughs> Ken, how are you, buddy? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm excited for today's guest and today's topic. Uh, I'm excited about one of those things, but I'm not going to say which one because I think that would be rude. <laughs> but one out of two ain't bad, Ken. That's right. Uh, Kahuna, how are you? I'm good, man. Uh, just chilling, vibing. Happy to be here, as always. Yeah. Uh, we're going to get into this at a later date and time, but I got to say I'm in a good mood today, Ken. Yeah. Because I've been listening to a certain song on rotation for the past three days. Uh, it's a certain Christmas song uh, written and recorded by one of the people on this podcast right now, but I'm not going to say who. Well, is it is it one of the two Jews? <laughs> uh, I can say no, it's not. It's never a Jew. So it's either it's either me or Chip. Yeah, it's definitely you, Chip. It is. I it knew is. it. Mm-hmm. Promote your record, man. That's right. <laughs> well, let's 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 bring on today's guest. We're, 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 we'll get to we'll get to Kahuna's nonsense soon enough. Um, yes, we will. Let's bring on today's guest. Today's guest is uh, he is a manager at Gotham Comedy Club. He is uh, a former stand up comedian. In fact, him and I ran a show at Gotham for six or seven years. Uh, say hello to Andrew Schwartztall. Andrew, hey how guys. Are you, buddy. I'm good. How are you doing? Hello, Andrew Schwartztall. Hello. Oh, thanks, I, you know, I, thanks I Kahuna, say, for I listening. I would have been so happy if there was a Jew named Kahuna. I'm, I'm very, very disappointed in what I could mean, have been. I mean, we could pass the baton today. You can be Kahuna, and I could just be Christian. I don't. They're not going to believe it. Would that be Kahuna? That would be Kahuna with a C. I have no Kahuna. Right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Kahunica. <laughs> well, and, and actually, if, if, if you were to if you were to ask my grandmother, that's how she would name this season. Uh, she's like, oh, I think it's I think it's Kahuna. So you should you should uh, say say something nice to your friends, uh, the Goldbergs down the street, because it's their Kahuna season. Like that, that would be my grandmother. Uh, saying that because it's Kwanzaa grandma not kahuna she tries to be worldly but uh it doesn't it 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 doesn't always work yeah i don't know what you mean so she she's not like she's not jewish right that would would be confusing but she thinks she just wants to like she thinks she knows yeah like she thinks she knows what she's talking about and i should say this is past tense because you don't have to worry about her anymore. Uh, but she, she <laughs> but yeah, like she would try to be, I, I, I don't know if I told this story on this podcast, but this has nothing to do with music, but it's one of my favorite stories in the world. A bunch of years ago, uh, like mid two thousands, I'm visiting my grandma. We're watching the news, just me and my grandma watching the news. And there's one of those awful, awful videos of like the Taliban or Al Qaeda, like when, when they were like those beheading video, when that was happening Ooh. back in the day. And it's just this awful video that we would, you know, that they were showing on the news that they obviously didn't show the whole thing, but they showed it and they did the story and then it cuts to commercial. And it's just my 85 year old grandmother and I sitting in a room. This worldly woman lived through the depression, lived through World War Two. And she just turns to me after that terrible story about the Taliban. And she just looks at me, goes, she goes, boy, Chip, that Taliban. They're a real cast of characters. <laughs> <laughs> I'm 
like, yeah, yeah, they are a real cast of characters. Right? Like, I thought, I, I thought she was going to say something, maybe like about like you know World War II and the Nazis, or like like some profound like there are certain people in the world who are just born evil, or just they they've 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 become evil, and, and there's there's goodness in the world, but they're you know light needs to shine through through all this darkness. But just boy, there are a real cast of characters. That's that's all I got from her. Oh and, uh, my god. Yeah. That's funny. That that that's just a blanket. Like that could apply to the Taliban. That could apply to like the cast of The Office. That could <laughs> yep. apply to like whoever she worked with in yeah. the sixties. Yeah. SantaCon. <laughs> yeah. Just yeah, an the, AA the, meeting. Yeah. The state of South Carolina, like just anything, just any group of people, you can put that, you can put that in there, and it just you know, sounds so. profound. Yeah. Um, well, I'm excited to get into today's topic. Do you want to introduce? Do you want to introduce it, Chip? Uh, go ahead. I, I think I, I want you to do the honors because I think it is. Uh, I, I was. Yeah. I, well, let's, let's get into it because I learned a lot. Just the other night watching a movie. Um, and so that movie was Who Framed Roger Rabbit? <laughs> <laughs> to, to, today's topic is um, Michael Hutchins, lead singer, singer of In Excess. In Excess. And it was um, it was Andrew's idea. Andrew Andrew wanted to come on and and do uh, a Michael Hutchins episode. Andrew, do you, do you, do you just think this is a a compelling story, or are you a huge In Excess fan? I mean, yeah, I'm a huge In Excess. First of all, it's like I let's not. It, it certainly doesn't make me sound cool that that's the the group that I wanted to talk about. That was the number one, but uh, yeah, I vote they they were like my first favorite band. I was like uh. I bought like, I got listen like thieves when I was probably six years old. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I love them. And the thing is, I was like, I was also listening to just cause of my older brother, I was listening to, uh, like so much like heavy metal glam rock when I was like four or five years old, I was a freak. Like I had long hair when I was five, I had learning disabilities. It was a weird picture, but I love, but then I, I got in excess and even at a young age, my older brother shamed me for in excess. It was like from the minute I started listening to them, there was something that I was like taught was uncool about in excess yeah. and about Michael Hudson. Yes. I want to get it. I want to get into this because but, that, that was something but I loved that, it. Yeah. They were, they were, a, they were a girl's band. That's they, they were a band that girls like, like that, that's what I remember yes. thinking yes. or being told like loving the music. I was like, Oh, this is great. And I just, I just knew the hits, but, but then that was like something that my friend's older sisters liked. Right. So it wasn't for us. Like we had to like guns and roses or, you know, whatever. Yeah. I gotta be honest with you. This is the first I'm hearing that it was a girl's band. Like, that's my problem. Like, that's, like, my, that's my problem with this band. Like I, I, I had these rose colored glasses or something because I, like I only thought they were dorky because I felt like you know that's what people were saying around me. But like mm -hmm. in my view, they were just like the coolest. Because like, well, I, I think they crossed that they they were a rock band, but then they were also kind of like a dance. But you know, like there was a dance yeah. element to it. So then, so that wasn't cool. If you're like you know, uh, uh, like you said, I was you know a little kid with a mullet in the eighties. Like you're you're not supposed to like like dance music. That's dumb. Like you, you should look rock music and <laughs> and yeah. and just to go and. 
I know I've said this about other bands that we've covered on this podcast, but if you are a casual in excess listener, which I kind of consider myself to be, I, I, I definitely enjoy them. Uh, I own a few albums. I have, you know, the greatest hits plus, you know, a couple albums, but like, you think, you know, a couple of good in excess songs, like, Oh, I, I probably know four in excess songs. I was telling Ken about this earlier, you know, 15 in excess yeah. songs. They have mm-hmm. so many hits throughout, you know, 15, yeah. 20 years. It's incredible. And every song is a banger. Like every song yeah. is so like of all their hits is so good. And to, to look back and not realize how, good they are i think they get forgotten a lot of, of course because of the the tragedy t- towards the end you know they, they haven't been around that much and um but just what a, what a great band and you and like i they're one of those bands i call them a six month band for me like i just won't hear them for six months and then somehow they come up on my itunes or whatever and then i'll go through a phase for a week where i'll only listen to in excess mm. <laughs> and you're just like oh these guys are the greatest and then you kind of forget them about about them a while, and then it just comes back, and you just you forget how many hits they have that you know all the words to. I'm the person who will like like you don't want to tell me that you like in excess because then I will make a playlist and send it to you. <laughs> like I will, I will just I will terrorize you. I with, will okay with in excess. Money where your mouth is. I want that playlist. Here's why. Because I, I know you, I actually can send it to you right now. Like send it to me right now because I know all the hits and I love all the hits. I don't know much else. And I would like to know more about, about that. Some of the deep cuts. Yeah. I would, they're not the same with me. Like I know every song on the greatest hits, but that's probably it. And they were another, they were another band. We talked about this with the Hall and Oates episode uh, last week that, you definitely were kind of shamed for liking, but I never, I mean, Hall and Oates made more sense to me because those songs were kind of like light and airy and goofy, but NXS had some greats. I remember I, I talked about my older brother shaming me for Hall and Oates. I remember having uh, Need You Tonight off kick on a mix, on a mix on cassette. Mm-hmm. And I I was picking them up from the airport and I had this tape in a, a mix <laughs> and that song came on and he turned to me and made so I, he shamed me. And uh, I remember like ejecting it or fast forwarding or whatever, like just to, to get past the shame. But deep down, I was like, I, I don't know, that just sounds like a really great song to me. But now fast forward 30 years and uh, see, I don't forget shit like this. Like that stays with me. I like any any moment of shame is burned into my memory. Oh sure. And um, fast forward thirty years later, my brother sends me a song. He's like, "Dude, this is so great. You have to hear it. It's a great cover." And it was Bonnie Raitt doing you "Need You tonight. tonight," which is, by yeah. the way, it's a very good cover. It's nowhere near as good. Like the original is so much better. And then I wanted to say like, oh, look who came around that this is a great song. But then I then I also know that I sound like a lunatic who held on to that bit of shame for 30 years and that I'm sure he has no memory of making fun of me for it. <laughs> All right. So, so let's let's before we really get into Michael Hutchins, let's take a step back real quick. Both of you had brothers who shamed you for liking in excess, right? Yes. OK. Yes. Uh, 
I, I remember like I don't have an older brother, but like I remember that general feel. And it was like, oh, my friend's older sisters like that band. So therefore, it can't be our favorite band for whatever reason. Like that, just, just that vibe. I don't think it was said in so many words, but that's why. OK, let's step back. Why is that? What the, the, the songs are great. Is it because like Michael Hutchins is like dreamy, good looking guy that like only girls are supposed to like him? Is it the style of music? Why do you think they were? And you can put them in the hall notes. There's a couple of bands I think you can put in Duran Duran, whatever. Why? Why wasn't it cool? Why, why do you think? I Well, you know, it's interesting because you mentioned a band like Duran Duran or like even Hall and Oaks. You know, the difference between them, even if like you could get shamed, I felt like they were easier to like categorize. Like people forget Inexcess was a new wave band, but they you never hear anyone describe them. As no. You'll never, you rarely hear that. But they were, they really started, I think, in like, 1979 their music was it's it, it sounded like true just new wave like like echo and the bunny man like it, it sounded just like that stuff in the beginning don't change and, is like a is a perfect new wave song yes that's yes and that's kind of like there yes that's perfectly put that's that's probably right after that i think they started getting a lot more mainstream and poppy um i i i think like people didn't really know how to categorize in excess. They were, and, and then I think you look at Michael Hutchins and, you know, he was, you look at him and you look at his band and it was just totally different. His band were a bunch of dorks, very talented, but I mean, I, there's still a few guys in that band that I refuse to learn their name. I just, I don't want to. <laughs> I, there's there's, just, there's, I, there's, there's, three, there's three brothers, right? There, there's the Farris brothers. Oh, there two, the Farris brothers. I believe there's three is what I read last night, but I, I yeah. could be wrong. There's two to See, three. I've been for 30 years and I refuse to find out. I think um, you're thinking of the Bee Gees. <laughs> no, no. And Andrew, John and Tim Ferris. Three Ferris brothers. Oh, wow. Yeah. See, I thought they were. See, was when Andrew said that he refused to learn, he wasn't yeah. kidding. I yeah, wasn't there, kidding. There, was, I, there was three of them. It was like, it was just weird because it would kind of remind me of like, so Michael Hutchins is like this like sexy dude, you know, he's wearing like leather shirt, chest popping, not really popping, but well, I don't know why I said popping, but you get what I mean. And he's, he's there. And then it's just a bunch of like, just like that saxophone player really like with like nerdy glasses. And they're all just kind of like very like, cheeky and having fun and then you know you got michael hutchins who's like in my opinion and i don't i love him but like i do think there was a little bit of like a poor man's like mick jagger to him and he, he was he was compared to him often yes yeah, mick jagger know? like uh jim morrison, morrison poor man morrison. james morrison poor man's bond yeah like he, he was a poor man's a few people yeah yeah but definitely i can see this because last night i was watching and it's like oh those are uh not not to not to quote Ken's favorite song, but he definitely has moves like Jagger. Like he, yeah. like you could see him ape, you could see him ape Jagger, but then definitely has that Jim Morrison look. Yeah, yeah. So and it's just, and, but here's the other thing about. So I think that was part of it, it. You know, I don't know if you guys agree with this. I was thinking this. Not all great bands, but a lot of great bands, especially rock bands, they have a number two, right? Like. There's even if it's kind of like you kind of have to really know the band to know who the number two is. There's like a there's another star in the band. 
mm-hmm. and they just didn't even come close to having that. And I think that might have formed like some sort of like disconnect. Um, but you know, the thing that gets lost though, and that people because of that, I, I think just become so overlooked is it's a really good band. It's yeah. a really good band. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to know their names, but they don't have their <laughs> instruments. Like, like there's some killer riffs. Even like Need You Tonight, Ken. Like that that riff yes. is amazing. Yep. Like well, um, they were they were I think they were hard to pigeonhole back in a time in the 80s when you had to have a label like this was heavy metal. This was rock. This was pop. You knew what everyone was and they were sort of um, it was sort of like you threw a lot of that shit into a blender because they they were they were definitely pop. They wrote very catchy tunes, um, but they were rock. They were definitely funk. You know, if if you if you uh, turn down Michael Hutchins vocals, a lot of that music sounds like it could be like James Brown's backing band. uh, Some of the later stuff. So they were they were just kind of hard to pigeonhole. And uh, I think that with Michael Hutchins, this was a case of like he he was almost too good looking to, to be taken seriously. And uh, that's that's, I think that's why our podcast isn't more popular. Yeah, it's a it's a problem I wrestle with every day. It's like (laughs) that's why that's why we don't release the video. It's because I want I want to be taken seriously as as a podcaster. And I just don't want to be, you know, I'm tired of being this eye candy. Yeah, I get it. Um, But I almost think that that like it. It worked against him because everything was in place. I, I learned so much stuff. So there, there was a couple. Uh, the documentary that Chip was referring to is called Mystify. Yeah. And, yep. and it's 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 heartbreaking. Um, but I learned some cool shit. You know, I, I do this thing, uh, Chip, you know, that. I'll go into Rolling Stones archives and and I'll just start reading what was written about the band when they came out. And I found an article last night written uh, in 1985 or 86, just after Kick had been released and it was just starting to explode. Yeah. So they were they're interviewing a band at a moment in time where they were maybe a couple months away from being a global phenomenon. And um, some of the things I learned were that, you know, for for as much of a no name band as they were, it was the same lineup like their lineup had never changed. They all met in high school in in Australia and they formed in Australia and, and they they started out in the Australian pub rock circuit, which apparently is is pretty limiting. But um it was the same band. They 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 grew together, and uh, even after Michael Hutchins died, and and they they brought in that other dude, the the lineup never changed. It was it was that that band was together for thirty something years, and um, they and, were and real quick just yeah. to just to put this in perspective. This this interview you're talking about, Kick had just come out. That's yeah. 1987. Mm-hmm. Okay, their their biggest album. Let me just the, here's here's just some of the tracks off of Kick. I'm New so Sensation. happy we're getting into this. Yeah. What what's that? I'm, I'm sorry. I'm just so happy we're getting into this because I feel like this is like a somewhat overlooked like masterpiece. But yeah. well, it's 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 crazy, and I might even be missing some. But he, New Sen- So this is just off a of Kick. New Sensation, Devil Inside, Need You Tonight, 
mediate, never tear us apart, mystify. Like that's all on one. That's just that one album. Yeah. They had, they off that one album, they had six singles go into the top 10, which is bananas. That album, first of all, is what really made me an excess fanatic um, is, you know, it came out, I believe, the same year Joshua Tree came out. And yeah. I bring that up because and I think they even mentioned this in the documentary. There was this weird thing, mostly with respect, but um, that Hutchins had with Bono. Bono really liked Michael Hutchins. They actually did a song together, mm-hmm. I think, in like 92 or 93. Um, they were always, I, I believe, at least he felt like this, that they were always kind of living in, in like the shadow of U2. Um, and I, I, I think, you know, the year they come out with their masterpiece, you know, Joshua Tree, this seminal album comes out. And I think they, you don't really hear people, I, I think, talk about kick, like meaning like, yes, like if you know who in excess are, of course, you know, the album, but I don't really think like, like it's not, it doesn't get the, you know, adulation that an album like Joshua Tree gets. Mm-hmm. And I honestly just think like that sums up in excess right there. They have this masterpiece, but I, I, I would call it a forgotten masterpiece. That's just my opinion on it. I don't think it gets the same love that other ones do. And, um, and I think that was just like this constant kind of thing that hung over, you know, Hutchins. He either wanted to be like Jim Morrison or he either wanted to be like Bono or he wanted to be like Jagger, but you always got the feeling like, was he comfortable just being who he was? Um, so anyway, and, and and I'll say this about that album. Those hits are amazing, but also the B-sides, like Tiny Daggers, the closing track on that might be like a top five in excess song for me. Um, Guns in the Sky is amazing. Like it's just, a, it's really one of the few, it's probably, I would probably only call like 10 albums perfect. And that's one of them, in my opinion. Wow. Yeah, I, um, it's funny. I never listened to, I don't think I've ever sat down and listened to it front to back. It's, 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 I never thought of them as an album band. It was just always like what you heard on the radio was so great that I was never, I, I don't know. It, it, I never went and we, we said the same thing about Hall and Oates. Like, I don't think I've ever actually, other than greatest hits, I don't think I've ever actually sat down and, and listened to an entire album. I think we need to come up with a name for that type of band where they suffer from their own amount of hits, where it's like I've liked in excess, but I've never gone deep because I didn't have to because they have so many hits. So like when I want when I hear an in excess song and then it's like, oh, I get my fix and I listen to it for a couple of days in a row. I really just need to listen to all of those hits because they have so many of them that, OK, by the time it gets through that rotation, I don't have to go any deeper and i, and I probably yeah. should but you yeah, know but i think whole notes we talked about that tom petty is i feel like is the same thing where tom petty had so many hits that you don't have to go deeper because if you know it when i go through my rotation of bands that i listen to it's like i should go deeper but like they have so many hits across the years that i kind of get my fill of it and not in a bad way yeah. but like i i get my fix and then move on yeah, I would even yeah. say bands like the Beach Boys kind of fall into that category. Yeah. Beach yeah. Boys, even ELO, like a lot of groups fall into that. Where it's the like, Proclaimers, <laughs> <laughs> just so many. That's hits. My my daughter's obsessed with the uh, there. There's um, five hundred miles. I would walk. Yeah, 
She loves us. Well, that's it, right? That's all the proclaimed. That's all they got. Right? Yeah, I think so. as far as I know. Yeah. Yeah. They have one other good song that I know of, per, like offhand, but that's that's literally it. <laughs> um, what I was reading in this article, though, like I thought was so cool because it it's such um, the music industry's changed so much that you can never break like this. So when they signed, uh, they didn't have a hit single. Their their first hit single was um, "What You Need." Which is a great song that great that, song. that that blends all of those. It blends the rock and dance and funk and pop, like we had just said. That doesn't come out until like their fourth or fifth album. They were given four or five albums to release, tour, tour internationally. They they left Australia to go break internationally before coming back to Australia because they were concerned that um, that you could that they can just get big in Australia and then never make it anywhere else like that I guess the Australian system sort of kept their bands at home and um, so they made a conscious decision like we're we're not gonna we're not gonna break here we're gonna go tour the world and then come back and they, they think that may have that may have uh that may have helped catapult them in, into stardom but to think like now like getting like a five album like here's five albums of period. leeways yeah like we're just gonna keep producing and paying for you to make albums and tour because we've got that much confidence that eventually you're gonna figure it out mm-hmm and then a really good point too, man. Because I feel like when Kick came out, they almost seemed like a brand new band, like to America, like like, and that's maybe what really helped make that album so hot. Like you know, I talk about how they were like dorky and stuff. There was like one year. I mean, they were there was a year where like in excess was. I mean, they were right there with you. Yes, too. yeah, and and they were so fresh. Um, and I think there's a lot of people. You're right, Ken, who were listening to them who had no idea that they, you know, they had an album called The Swing and, you right, know, right. Listen Like Thieves. And yeah, yeah, for sure. They they it's, talk about that in the article where, um, you know, everyone thought that they were this overnight sensation and they'd already been together for 10 years before before they even had a song that really made some noise on the radio. And... Um, you think about it now, it's like you, you, they would give you one, maybe two albums to get your shit together. Mm-hmm. And and then if, if you weren't, you know, if you weren't, if you, if you didn't have a massive single off of one of those two albums, you're done. It's kind of like in comedy, though, sometimes for some people, right? Where like someone like breaks in the scene, people are like, oh, my God, this comic's amazing. So funny. And it's actually like. Yeah, well, he or she's been doing it for 12, 15 yeah, years. Yeah, they've been on the road. You think they're brand, and, and, and the advantage to that is because they've been doing it for 12 to 15 years, they sound so, I mean, they sound, they their uh, material is so good, yeah, yeah. so polished, and but they're not, you know, they're getting treated like this, uh, oh God, no pun intended, like this new sensation. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so it's it's not bad. It can totally work to to you know any artist's advantage. But it takes, wouldn't you say, it takes a lot of uh, 
takes patience and not all artists are willing yeah. to have, you know, it's, it's it's not, themselves. Forget, I mean, the record labels, you know, it's, it's like the record yeah. labels having that kind of patience mm -hmm. is it's unheard of now. They almost suffered like I, I think what happened, at least at least in reading this. They were such a band, you know, they were in the traditional sense of like three of the I, I think there were six of them. Three of the six were brothers and the other three, they, they were all mates from high school and um they were such a band in the traditional sense that everything was a vote. Everything was a band decision, mm. even though Michael Hutchins was clearly they I don't even think they realized it took him a few albums to even become Michael Hutchins. Like, I don't even I think they realized, oh, we have a pretty like dynamic, talented front man. But I don't think they realized just how talented or dynamic. So well, and I don't even know what the, what that dynamic was exactly. But like there was the part of that documentary when it was Michael Hutchins and uh, the, I, was it the drummer wrote disappear. And like, it was a whole thing because uh, the, the, was it Andrew like didn't mm -hmm. write disappear. So he didn't want it on the album. Like it wasn't a complete team effort. So they weren't even going to put disappear on the album, which became the biggest hit of, of what was that X, I guess. Yeah. But, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, like it was a, they were, they seemed like they were a, well, a band. Yeah. That's, that's interesting that you say that. Cause I think what happened was uh, up until they broke, everything was band decisions. Everybody wrote for the band. Uh, Michael Hutchins wrote the lyrics, you know, because he, he was singing them, but everybody else turned in music and melodies and, I think that led to, and I don't know their early albums well, but I think it led to um, maybe the albums felt disjointed because it, it was a, one of these like too many cooks in the kitchen type scenario. Mm -hmm. When they started recording Kick, the band agrees to let Michael Hutchins and Andy Ferris write I think I read like 10 of the 11 tracks or nine of the 11 tracks they wrote as a songwriting team and, and the band was okay with it. And so I don't think it's a coincidence that that's their most cohesive album, you know, really so that that's the album where it's like, Oh, this is their sound because it was only coming from one songwriting team. It's a really good point because, uh, yeah, because it's like Listen Like Thieves, which I highly, highly, highly recommend. It's a great album, but it's a little all in the swing. That's actually a better example. It's a little all over the place. Like they have a few songs that like uh, one in particular called Original Sin, mm -hmm. which is like and it is a hit, but it's it, it has a complete like 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 world music sound to it, well, you know, and then and then they have songs that are just pure funk and it actually can. And then there's. And then there's a ballad and then it can be like a little exhausting, actually. It's a bit all over the map while kick is it's very, very cohesive. So that's yeah, I never thought of that. Um, that's a really good point, you know, and, and also just like talking about the, you know, the, the record industry. It was I remember reading a review. I was like 10 for X when it came out. And it was interesting because I think they suffered from the same thing that you two suffered from. Uh, so much pressure after Joshua Tree. Right now, obviously they had they had Rattle and Hum, which I know was like divisive, and then 
they come out with, you know, Octum Baby, my my favorite masterpiece. And, which is, that was one of my first favorite albums. Like, I feel like yeah. as, you know, as a yeah. young, t- as a tween or whatever, like, it was just amazing. And, but like, you two, they, I mean, they had said famously, like, they almost broke up. Like, they were just, right. we've, we've done it. And then somehow they wrote one in like a hotel in Germany or something like that. And they're like, oh, I guess we can throw another album together. And then mm-hmm. Octum Baby comes out. Yeah. And I don't know. I forget how close I don't, I think in excess were okay. Like, I don't think they came close to breaking. I think they had, I mean, I think, you know, the kick tour was ridiculous. I mean, they were doing stadiums yeah. all of a sudden. And but I remember reading a review for, and I saw them by the way, on the X tour, one of the, basically the first concert I ever went to, I was like eight years old. Amazing. Went with my dad. Uh, and, uh, I remember getting a hard, they were getting a hard time because they only sold 3 million albums. Like that's yeah. where we were Yeah, mm-hmm. when you would sell 3 million albums. It was basically being viewed as a flop. They had two monster hits, suicide blonde and disappear. They had a few, I think uh, the stairs was kind of a hit too. Um, and it just, but like, it was, it was just a different time. Mm-hmm. There was so much pressure. It was so much easier. I think, um, to just tear bands down too, because there was just so much, you know? And if you look at like 19, like 92, like that's kind of like where the bubbles bursting, yeah. not just in excess, but for so many. Yeah. Bands. Yep. Um, yeah. Grunge so is, I, grunge is starting to on the doorstep. Yep. Grunge is starting oh. to hammer the, the, the final nail into a lot of bands coffins. I, I, I felt particularly bad for like the the fall from grace for NXS. Yeah, it, it was so fast. It didn't make sense because they were they were great songs and everything I'm reading, like they did and said everything right. Like when all of the attention went on Michael Hutchins in, in this in this uh, Rolling Stone interview I'm reading, all he keeps doing is deflecting to the rest of the band. And and saying like, I forget one of the Ferris brothers when when they formed in high school, one of one of those guys was the original front man. So he was like, you know, we, we really have two front men in this band. And 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 he was so gracious to allow me to take over. And, and like when we read that, um, when I was reading quotes from that uh, Hall and Oates interview, right, w- which was the most bad shit, crazy interview we've <laughs> read yet. Daryl Hall keeps everything is I and me. You know, everything was I and nobody's doing music more complex than I am right now. And it wasn't wasn't like, oh, it wasn't we. And and everything you're reading in this Michael Hutchins interview is we and the band and us. And I don't want to have to answer these questions. Why don't you ask those guys what they think? And um, it felt bad because I felt bad because it seemed like they were doing everything right. And then they worked so hard to get to the top. And it feels like they barely had time to look around at the view and be like, hey, look at what we did. All this hard. They weren't overnight. It was it took a long, long it took time. 10 years of playing hundreds of shows a, a year. Um, and, and then they get to where they are and you get the feeling that they just have no clue how fast the bubble's going to burst for them. And, and I think maybe it was the times too, but, and maybe it was how old I was. Cause I was probably about 14 or so at the time, but I remember thinking when 
was it welcome to wherever you are mm-hmm. that album um, came out yeah. i remember thinking like oh i remember these guys that band from when i was a kid and like oh yeah. they're back i guess like oh they've made a comeback and it was like that was only kick was only five years before that they had a huge world tour probably two world tours another album with hits on it they never really stopped but it felt like there was just this gap and i think you just like needed an album every year just to be in the news every year or every couple like you just had to constantly be there and to me it felt like and i think a lot of people it's like oh they dropped out and then came back yeah but you know what i think part of the issue was too and i is i think about like a band like the cure I'll just think about that for a second. You know, new wave band as well. They always had this, even when they got big, they had a really strong cult following. Now, in excess in Australia is a completely different story. They wait, were always uh, playing. As, hold on. Wait, guys, ho- hold on a second. We have, um, let me go check if that's real. We may have a fire alarm going oh, off in the building. Well, that doesn't really concern Andrew and I. <laughs> <laughs> we're perfectly safe uh, Andrew please go ahead yes. welcome to wherever you are Yeah, you know I, I think something happened with excess where like they because I think they almost got too mainstream at like meaning it all happened so quickly they, that there was they could have used like more of a cultist following if that makes any sense like meaning yeah. in excess by 93, 94 it's the oddest thing they were literally playing theaters now Mm-hmm. in the u.s yeah. sometimes like theaters with like 2500 people like crazy but that never happened to a band like and i guess what you could say is well maybe that's i mean i don't know maybe that's that's a that's an indictment on in excess maybe like they didn't have as an a- avid following at least at that time as some other groups did because it just really stands out i mean it's one thing we, we it's well documented we know what happened to glam rock uh that just got destroyed as much as I grew up on that, it made sense because there was a lot, it was so saturated. A lot of it just wasn't good. So they got, you know, I mean, Cinderella was like, you know, lucky if they could play, you know, a show at Gotham comedy club, 300 people. Like it was, they were completely, all those bands were just done, but a band like in excess, I remember even at a young age, it was shocking that all of a sudden they're playing these really small houses. Mm-hmm. And if it's shocking for us, it must have been so jarring for them. Like, yeah. how did this happen in a matter of two years? Yeah. Um, when, like, nothing really changed with their sound, you know? I mean, they were still basically the same group. Yeah, and they just didn't have that. Yeah, it, 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 it is, and that, that does make sense where it's like, did they not have that base of that, fan base that would that would come every year to see them whether they had a new album or not it was just that huge flash and then and then people move on it was also you know what i take back what i said their albums act after x were very good actually they were i mean beautiful girl was a great song uh but in general like something kind of changed and i think it's i mean and i know we'll get into this a lot of it had to do with hutchins and what he was going through Mm -hmm. but i i remember this happened with a lot of groups like when grunge came in, all of a sudden, all these bands like thought they had to like change their. I remember like Motley Crue did like an album. They that did like a like grunge were, album, yeah. Yeah, like they got confused. They got they they got the nineties. It's such an amazing decade for music, but it's also like a really bizarre decade. I think in a lot of ways, like just you know a, a new scene. Like it wasn't like that in the eighties. Like there was there was like room for everyone. 
Mm-hmm. But in yeah. the nineties, like a new scene comes in and all of a sudden all these other bands get just like pushed out and like, and they try to change their sound. Like they're trying to sound like the new thing and that's just contrived and doesn't work. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and I, I, I do think that happened to them. Like, I don't think they really came close after, after X, no. uh, especially like they didn't come close to doing anything like kick. No. Um, in, and, in the 90s. and they, um, like the nineties aesthetic was so different from the eighties where it was like, you spend all, like these guys spent 10 years trying to become rock stars and then they become bona fide rock stars. And then the nineties come along and they're like, rock stars are out. Like now, now we just want to uh, look like lumberjacks. That, but but that's what happened though. Even with Hutchins, like he changed his look a little bit. Mm-hmm. He he was he was dressing a little more like alty, yeah, yeah, and grungy, and it just it just wasn't it, it it didn't work at all. He was also dealing with uh he was dating all those girls. Yeah, let, let, oh, let's yeah. so let's get into some of his personal life. <laughs> yeah, he was like yeah. Well, yeah, he was Kylie he was Minogue in Minogue for a little bit. Kylie Minogue. Um, then Helena, the woman from the model from the Chris Isaac video, whose name is Helena me. Christensen. No one yeah, knows no. her name. Yeah. yeah. Um, I guess you do. No, I, I... <laughs> <laughs> there's names. I, I guess I'm learning about myself today. There's just some people. I just, I don't want to learn your name. I don't yeah. want to know who you are. I just refuse. I don't know why. I don't know what that is about me. So, and I think if we go backwards real quickly, you know, to the end. And again, I, I was a, a a casual NXS fan. And, you, you know, you hear the tragic news about Michael Hutchins. And then there was all these like rumors and or jokes that, you know, of course, he he uh, he 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 comes say hung himself. And it was like, was it suicide? Was it accidental? Was it some, you know, everybody who killed him said there was always the thing of the autoerotic asphyxiation. Like, it was like there was always that sort of underground like would it you know so you hear that end and then i just thought that was the end of it like i never really and then you watch and i didn't realize all the events leading up to it that like especially the one in i think france that is just the biggest turning point in his life probably and he he obviously kept it a secret but just completely literally changed his brain yeah which i think i think a lot of people don't know about which I guess we should get into. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. So starting backwards, I, for years, in, until I watched that documentary, completely thought that it was autoerotic asphyxiate. I thought that he accidentally hung himself snapping his beam, which um, always tragic when someone dies, of course. But that's a pretty hilarious way to die just from a pure comedic point of view it's a pretty Mm -hmm. hilarious way to die so uh even though i was a fan of his music i always felt like kind of okay chuckling at at how he went out but then uh you watch the documentary and you discover that that didn't happen and that wasn't true and that was just leaked and it's it's been debunked Mm -hmm. it's been despunked Good Lord, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Happy holidays, ladies and gentlemen. From I love rock and roll to you. From our family to yours. 
Lahayim. Oh my god. Um, I, I had I had like a JFK moment with that. Like we're like you know like like you remember like where you were when yeah. you found out about that. I was at Dave Lane Mall in Miami. I was like at like uh, Champs or something. I don't know why that's that matters, but I was and 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 I don't know. I mean, it was obviously before, really before the internet, really. But somehow someone told me about it. And I was a late bloomer. I was like 15. This was 97, right? Yes. This happened. Yeah. I was 15. And I, rem- I I was a late bloomer. Okay. So I was just starting to bloom and, you know, uh, in privacy. And uh, I, I remember like just being like, I remember it really impacting me because I heard mm-hmm. the same thing and I was just getting started in that department. So I was just very confused. It was a very very confusing time for me. I had the same thing happen with when I heard about Kurt Cobain. Like I remember exactly where I was. I was like in this coffee shop and I was just sitting there. Um, It was three weeks ago. I had never heard about it. I was like, how did I never hear about this? This is awful. This is terrible. Yeah. I don't remember the album swingers party by chip Chantry right there. Yeah, it's funny, Andrew. Uh, my wife was was this morning was telling me that she knows exactly where she was when Michael Hutchinson because NXS was her favorite band. She actually over the years sort of turned me on to them again. They, they they were sort of like one of those lost, forgotten bands for me. But then she was telling me like that was that was her, one of her big like like you said like JFK moments. And then I was trying to think if I could remember where I was, and I have no memory of it. But, um, Chip, that moment you were talking about in France. Yeah. So, so he's – yeah, go, go ahead. No, you – you. I'm probably going to get this wrong. It was when he was dating, I think uh, – is it oh, Helena Christensen? Helena Christensen. So he's in France. They're just like hanging out one night. I think they were like riding bikes or something like that. They're, yes. They stopped to get some pizza or they stopped to get some food or something like that. He's like kind of, I guess – with his bike, like in the middle of this little road or whatever, apparently some taxi driver, correct me if I'm wrong, comes like flying past. And I guess Michael Hutchins is in the way the taxi driver screams at him, gets out of the cab and just this altercation. He goes after Michael Hutchins for like being in his way or something like that. Yeah. It was like a road rage thing where, where Michael Hutchins probably yelled at him or hit the taxi as it drove past or something. And then the guy stopped and got out. Yeah. And basically beat the shit out of him, like threw the punched him. He I think he hit his head on the curb or hit hit his head on the ground. His head hit the curb. So uh, she was talking about it, saying that like blood was coming out of his mouth and his ears. Yeah. And he they took him to the hospital and he just kind of freaked out, like just was just uh, uh, angry and had all this rage in him and like disoriented because, you know, he has this brain injury, you know? So, uh, and doesn't last long in the hospital and goes, she like, he's like refusing treatment and is like, it's just obviously not well. For some reason, the doctors let him go home. He goes back to her place and basically just holds up there for like a month, just sort of writhing in pain being uh, not eating and just just this awful he's in this awful state for weeks where he should be in the hospital getting help but he doesn't and finally after like a month decides to go and seek help and they start finding doctors to potentially help him but the, the damage is done at this point yeah he had he had a fractured skull 
which yeah. led to a brain injury, which led to um, like, like, I think there was like a like basically some of his in his frontal lobe, some of the, the nerves were 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 severed. So therefore, Jesus. he lost sense. He lost all sense of taste and smell, and smell which like. Again, it's like people think it's like, OK, I don't I don't taste anything. I don't smell anything. They say that has such a profound effect on you and it can even get worse throughout the years. And it's almost like you're a step away from everybody else because it's like your sense of smell, especially it's it's right next to, I believe, your hypothalamus, which is your sense of memory, yep. your uh, your your emotions. So your your smell is very connected to y- yes. your emotions, your memory and yeah. all that and your connection with other people. So therefore, he just lost that. So it's just like he's walking around in a in a fishbowl, right. not being able to really connect with people and just not connect with the world where he was so into that. B- besides the fact that that was only one part of his injury, there was, I think, other undiagnosed yeah. parts of his brain that were also injured. I, I can actually speak from personal experience on this. So I had um, I, I lost my sense of smell and taste. Um about two hours ago, I have a runny nose too. Uh, okay, Kahuna, I hope it's probably just a <laughs> no. I I, I, this, I think uh, I think we have an uh, I love rock and roll exclusive right now. Uh, we're learning <laughs> something about Ken Krantz. Oh my God, I actually no. I, 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 I lost my sense of smell for about three years. Um, Did you really? Yeah. So I just I had nasal polyps, and and I I, I you know I was like I'm. Couldn't be bothered to go to the doctor. I just, I, I don't know what happened, but I, they built up so much that it blocked my sense of smell, which destroyed my sense of taste. And I, I did. Could say, you, could you breathe through your nose? It was, it was, it was tough. So okay. I was like, I was, I was taking so many, uh, like antihistamines that I would like that the pharmacy thought I was making meth. Like I started yeah. getting turned away from from getting like mucinex they were like no you're you're at your limit you're clearly up to something yeah so it it really does lead to um i finally had to get surgery and then i still i take shots twice a month to the to stop the polyps from reforming oh wow so but it really does lead to like a kind of depression and it does the way when they describe it in the in the movie that you start feeling like you're kind of floating through life you really do because that sense of smell is connected to memories and um you know that sense of taste hits so many like pleasure centers in your brain so when you take that away it's it's just and then when you think about like like imagine how depressed just a regular guy like me gets exactly. with no sense of smell but when you're michael hutchins and and you're 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 a multi-millionaire rock star <laughs> like you're, you're tasting and smelling way better shit than the average person yeah so and it's coupled i forget what year the incident happened was it 91 92 ish is that when when the act when the, that the, sounds the assault happened? i think so somewhere yeah, so that's like also that. right around the time too where they're coming down from their biggest right. hits like their, yep. their big wave of popularity yeah. they're starting to play theaters i think it was coupled with that too so not only is he dealing with that letdown but then also this horrific and like they said like he would come into they, they said he was always like the nicest, sweetest guy. And, you know, I almost didn't realize why the 
that documentary was going into that so much. Like he was like just the nicest guy, just, you know, always so pleasant, whatever. And then there was just this stark change after that incident, he would come in and people, people deal with him. And it was like, you never knew what kind of Michael you were getting. You like, he was way more aggressive. He would get angry. You know, some days he was fine. Other days he would fly off the handle and it, that just never happened. So just his entire personality seemed yeah to yeah it changed well, they they said like he, they said that he was the least rock star rock star on the planet before that they mm-hmm. said that he would he would be out dancing shirtless for a stadium full of people and then the you know the lights would go on and he would walk backstage and just turn into a regular dude and mm-hmm. and that there was no there was no ego attached and there there was no sense of self importance and um that that yeah so that that assault changes his entire personality. Well, I think also it's like just a perfect storm too. Like he can't write. I mean, he's an artist and he can't really create the way he was used to uh, creating. So that's part of the frustration. And at the same time. His, he's just like this walking tabloid now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's all he is now. They're not even making money on it. They're not selling tickets because of it. They're selling less tickets than they've ever sold. And yet he's like in the news more than he's ever been in the news. But it's all based on his personal stuff. And it's a lot of negativity. So, like, it completely makes sense that he would be, you know, just like really, really hostile at times and difficult to be around. Um, but I think the I, I would bet the the most frustrating thing for him was not being able to create the way he once was able to, yeah. especially when everyone else. It's not like one of those stories where like the whole band is going through things. It's like knowing that it's just you basically, and mm-hmm. this all falls on you. That's a lot. That's yeah. a lot to have to have to hold. Onto. Yeah, nobody was looking at that dorky sax player like, all right, Michael's cooled down a bit. What do you got? Yeah, <laughs> it was it was him. Uh, and yeah, then I, and then he falls in with uh, Paula Yates, who yeah. is which this blew me. I didn't realize this. This is crazy. So she is I, I you, I'm tell me if I have this totally right. She she's at one point she's married to Bob Geldof. Her and Bob Geldof have a couple kids together. And then, I, so I don't know if she has an affair with Michael Hutchins and he breaks their marriage up or if their marriage had already broken up and then she hooks up with Michael Hutchins. But in either case, her and, and Paulie Yates, by the way, uh, for those of you who don't know, was just this. She's this television personality in the UK, sort of like tabloid fodder. You know, she 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 was kind of famous, but not for really doing anything. You know, like maybe maybe uh, like a precursor to like a Kardashian or something. You had a perfect uh, tabloid fodder. Yeah, that's perfect description. So. a triangle forms, you know, Bob Geldof, Michael Hutchins and Paula Yates and her Paul, Geldof and Paula Yates are going through a very bitter divorce and custody battle. And uh, she's she's a big drug user. She hooks up with Michael Hutchins, who's going through the personal and professional uh, you know, he's failing everywhere, personally and professionally. He's broken up with Helena Christensen. And um, they now start holding up together. 
and they become like one of these like Kurt and Courtney kind of celebrity uh, junkie couples. And uh, oh, God, yeah they they have one they have one daughter together, uh, Tiger Lily Hutchins, and um, the day that Michael Hutchins commits suicide, he, he he's in the Four Seasons. Uh, I, I think it was the Four Seasons in Sydney, Australia. Yeah. Well, you know, if you're gonna, I mean, if you're gonna do it, yeah, do it with good room service. Um, <laughs> what a, what a Four Seasons commercial that yeah. would be. <laughs> yeah, what do you you want your last you want your last view to to be a red roof in? <laughs> um, so the day that he hangs himself, um, a witness in the next room recounts hearing him argue very loudly on the phone. And what's happening is Polly Yates is, wants to bring Tiger Lily plus her two kids to Australia to visit Michael because she knows that he's holed up there and he's alone and he's having a really hard time. So she wants she's like, oh, maybe bringing the kids will help cheer him up and get him out of this funk. Because he was obviously over the moon about his baby that he had with her and then apparently just had this great relationship with her two kids as well. Like he was just yes. the one thing that brought him happiness. Yes. In the past two years. By the way, you know, you know, when not having a sense of smell comes in handy. This isn't even a joke. This was the only well, time it true. came in handy for me. You're right. Was having a newborn like when I had my daughter. Uh, not being able to smell made made uh, diaper duty so Much so easier. easy. Yeah, yeah, like it was. And when when I would tell people like, oh, I don't have a sense of smell, like they're like, oh, you can probably catch a like. No, it was literally you. If my eyes were closed and you you held something half an inch from my wow. nose, I couldn't tell you what it was. Yeah. Wow. You know, I, I couldn't pass a taste test without knowing, you know, blindfolded eating something. I couldn't tell you what it was. So your parenting tip boils down to when you have a newborn, get COVID. Yeah. If if you yeah. if you're going to lose your sense of smell, do it during during the diaper days. But um, so she wants to bring the kids to Sydney thinking this is what he needs to cheer himself up and maybe to, you know, get out of bed, that sort of thing. Bob Geldof gets into a huge fight with Paula Yates and won't allow her to leave the country. I'm, I'm guessing they were in the UK. I don't remember. He won't allow her to leave the country with his kids. You know, I guess she needs his permission. So the, I guess like hours before hanging himself, somebody reports hearing him having a very loud argument over the phone, which I guess with phone records, they ended up doing um, a search. Yeah. And they ended up realizing that it was Bob Geldof that he was fighting with. Let's yeah. just hold for one. Yeah. Second. Wait. Yeah. Where he what happened to Andrew? Yeah. Oh, here he comes. Oh, nope. You're back. So just hold that. Yeah. thought. OK. OK. Go. I'm sorry about that. That's OK. Um, so witnesses report, uh, witness reports hearing him arguing with somebody over the phone. And then, you know, they, they figure out through phone records that it's Bob Geldof mm -hmm. that Michael Hutchins is fighting with. And then, um, 
Michael Hutchins, he can't, you know, I guess he, it's just his darkest hour. He, he hangs himself. And um, this is something that I found out that is really fucked up to me. Like, I don't know how to feel about this. So Michael Hutchins dies 1997. And then I think 2001, 2002, Paulie Yates dies. I think it was 2000. Yeah. Okay. 2000. Yeah. Paulie Yates dies of an accidental overdose. So now you have um, this this baby with, I mean, not a baby at that point, but you, you've got this little girl with no parents. Mm-hmm. And Bob Geldof adopts Michael Hutchins's daughter because oh, wow. he's the father of Tiger Lily's two half siblings. Yeah. And I don't know, like, I can't like, is this out of the goodness of his heart or is it like a final f- fuck you to a romantic rival or is right. it a little of both? He adopts Tiger Lily and now Tiger Lily Hutchins is now known as Tiger Lily Hutchins Geldof. Because he, he wanted to keep those kids together. And if I'm Michael Hutchins, if I'm like a ghost Michael Hutchins, and oh, I yeah. see like, oh, this guy that's been the pain in my ass since, since you know, I got in this relationship has now adopted my daughter. Yeah. I'm like, I don't know if you're. What a, what a boomtown rat. <laughs> uh, Part of my French. Um, you know. I got to say, man, like this whole thing, it just, it just frustrates me. It's like you think about someone like Amy Winehouse, like you, you knew from the beginning that she wasn't going to make it. She wasn't going to last. Yeah. You kind of just knew the story going in and that makes it a little easier. Like even like the stuff you're talking about, Ken, like with the article and like just knowing like how they came up, this stuff is just, it's just so um, frustrating. Because it just like shouldn't have happened. Right. It yeah. really shouldn't have happened. He doesn't have that accident. None of this probably happens. Right. And, you know, I maybe on like a less serious note, because I, I get the, the serious stuff that he died and what happened with Tiger Lily and all that. But like, I have no doubt in my mind that they were just maybe five years away from having a renaissance. Yeah. Because it happened with a lot of bands. It's happened with it happened a lot. With Duran Duran, happened with Depeche Mode. Happened with Hall and Oates. It happened. Yep. Yeah. It's they and Phil Collins. It's it's just if you just hang in long enough, mm-hmm. you become I think cool they again. Had a huge second wind. Especially yeah. if he never has that accident. Yeah. And they're able to still make really good music. But even if not, if they just hung in there and keep oh. Oh, I didn't. I didn't mean to be that. I'm not that clever. I'm a former comic. I'm not that for a reason. You're a comic in remission. Oh, oh yes. Um, I, I mean, it sounds like that accident. Like, I don't know. I mean, I, I yeah, it changed, it changed. It changed everything for him. And here's a question but that it's just so frustrating. It, they don't get into it in that documentary, but I wonder if. Was it was this this cab driver or whatever just assaults him and runs off or, you know, like drives, drives away a bounty on him? Yeah. Did, do they know who he was? Did oh, he face know. charges? Did. Yeah. Was there some sort of like, d- does he know? Does he even know who Michael Hutchins was? Does or he knows know now? He be like, oh, my God, that was the guy that I assaulted. Like, <laughs> were there any yeah. were there any uh, uh, ramifications for this guy? Not that I know of. 
Yeah. So um, we're going to we're going to wrap this up. But real quick, um, Andrew, you and I were talking about this off air. In excess, 75 million albums sold. Uh, the most successful. Well, don't get me started on this. The most successful band to ever come out of Australia with the the number two behind ACDC. 75 million albums sold worldwide. Why aren't they in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? I'll have to move quickly with this. Uh, you know, it's fun. I've, I've, I've put friends through this conversation who really don't even care about an excess and they've had to deal with me go off on this. Um, <laughs> it's, they have all the credentials. Um, I think what happened to them that is still equally frustrating because I'm not convinced they're ever going to make it. They just, you know, the music industry in general will always be fickle. They just became a forgotten band. And this whole, you know, um, the way Hutchins died people thinking it was one thing for so many years did not help. And they just, they, it, I mean, it's, it's absurd. It doesn't make any sense. They were one of the biggest new wave bands that came out. They had one of, um, there was a time, even if it was only for a couple of years where they were like almost neck and neck with you two. Yeah. Um, they have, you know, a, a, especially in Australia, like a devoted, devoted fan base. So why are they not in the rock and roll hall of fame? Cause they're rock and roll. I'm sorry, the Record Hall of Fame is bullshit. And we all know that. And and we could, you guys could go, you guys could have a series of episodes on bands that should be there that yes. are not there. Yeah. Um, and then it, and it's just, it's so arbitrary. Like, I'll even just say this quickly. Like, I like them uh, and I'm actually seeing them soon. Like, you're telling me the Foo Fighters are first ballot? Just like right. that. They're, they're first ballot? Yeah. Nick Sess hasn't even like been nominated. It doesn't make any sense to me. It's just, it's it's so subjective um, and, uh, yeah, I, I don't think they'll ever be there now. If, if Hutchins did, didn't die, they would be in the Rocker Hall of Fame. I believe that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or they would have at least been nominated, but I think it's how he died. It was just an easy way for a lot of, maybe they were never taken seriously enough to begin with. And because of that, it was really easy for people just to, uh, you know, just throw them under the bus. Yeah. That's what I think. I don't, yeah. I don't, I don't get that. He was such a dynamic front man. He he didn't seem like he ever fell into those rock star trappings that that so many do. He, he, you know, he he seemed grounded and humbled. And they put out. It's like listen that that listen like thieves kick X. That's that was pretty. Yeah, that was a pretty great three or four album run, and 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 they sold a lot of records in 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 the in the time where you could sell a lot of records like they, they did everything. The only thing that I can think of is I just don't know how wide ranging their influence was. Like I, like I, I don't hear them in other bands. I hear them in other bands, but the unfortunate thing is I hear them in bands. I don't really like, um, <laughs> like Maroon five, yeah. super influenced by NXS, uh, matchbox 20, super influenced by them. Um, but just, but they're not like the best. Yeah. I mean, that's the only thing I'll say about an excess. I don't, I don't want to prolong you guys that like, look, it's not lost on me though, that like they weren't, of, uh, besides kick and maybe listen like thieves. 
they weren't like a critically acclaimed band. No. They weren't like, and they weren't winning awards really. Like mm-hmm. that, I mean, that's the one counter you could say like why, like it's not like I ever thought they should be first ballot, but it's just considering they've been eligible to be nominated for the last like 18 years yeah. and they haven't been, that's the issue. But like, yeah, there's, there's a, and, and I agree with you, Ken, like they're not, I mean, I, I'm sure there's some front men out there who are, who are influenced by, by Michael, by Michael Hutchins. But like, if they're influenced by the saxophone player, they don't even know his name. So yeah. how influenced could yeah. they be? Like, that's a good point. So yeah, that's, 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 that makes sense to me. All right, Andrew, what's, uh, what are your one or two, if you, if you were telling people, these are the songs you should check out by NXS? Um, same Direction. I'm just going to pick ones I don't think everyone like yes. knows. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Same Direction. Can I, can I do three? Go. Yes. Go Such ahead. Such a dork. Such and, a- and I want that playlist, too. <laughs> I'm going to send it to you like right now. I should have done it during the, the actual uh, episode. Um uh same direction tiny daggers and this one's kind of a hit but i don't think that many people know it uh burn for you i would say those are three i would say definitely listen to the swing that's an amazing amazing album um yeah i I, i'm gonna throw out my favorite song real quick and again, like I don't know all the the B sides and the, and the and I know it was in their lesser album time, and maybe it was just because I was like fourteen when it came out, so it hit me. But uh, off of Welcome to Wherever You Are, not enough time. One Great of my song. favorite songs of all time. Yeah. One of my favorite totally. songs of all time. Really? I don't even know it. Like, I gotta I just, go listen. Oh, you know, you, you definitely know Not Enough Time. Like, it's uh, just, I just don't it's know a, the title. It's a great song. Uh, I'll tell you a quick story about that. I was about 14. It came out and Michael Hutchins wore this like it was like this brown kind of throwback, almost like zoot suit kind of pinstripe. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, uh, I remember the look. suit in the video. And I remember thinking, I want to I'm 14. I want to wear that. <laughs> that suit, Four, yeah. like 125 pound 14 year old chip chancer wants to wear this like rock star z- zoot suit throwback brown pinstripe suit to his school semi-formal that year like i'm gonna wear this to my freshman dance this year because it's the coolest suit uh question did i wear that suit yeah i feel like you probably yes. did yeah. Uh, no, because I didn't even go to the dance. So I like that yeah. Chip Dude, was I, like uh, picking out a suit before anybody had even thought of agreeing to go with him. Oh, yeah. No. And so I just didn't even go. Yeah. I had the same shit. I remember my first day of public school. I decided to, after being in private school my whole life, I decided to, dr- I literally dressed just like Eddie Winslow would in Family Matters. It, uh, <laughs> it didn't work. I also, like, with like, uh, it just didn't work. We'll just leave it at that. And I also dressed one time. This kind of worked, actually. I dressed as, remember Boy Meets World? Of course. In like, yeah. the, and I, I dressed like, they, they would wear vests. They were like these little, like, 15 year old kids. And they would wear vests. Yeah, yeah. And I did that at camp. You know, you can get away with a lot of stuff at camp, at sleepaway camp. And mm-hmm. I and I would wear a vest like often. And then and then I stopped. Anyway, I guess that's <laughs> the, that might be the last thing I say on this episode. <laughs> I wore a vest. I could <laughs> I could see that for you. All right. Well, Thank listen, Andrew. Yeah. Hope hope you had fun. Thanks. Yeah, for, man. Thanks so much for doing. Thanks it. for coming on. 
Where where can this people find you? I know you're not like you don't have find me. Yeah, I know you don't have much to promote. <laughs> What's your go, address? Go see a guy. <laughs> What's your PO box? Go see a show oh. at Gotham and say hello to Andrew in the booth. Definitely find me at Gotham. Um, and uh, yeah, that's about it, man. That's about fine. You can find me at home eating a pint of ice cream, and that's it. That's all I got. <laughs> but, but please guys, don't awesome. find them at and, home. And you guys are doing such. I'm just really happy for you guys. We're doing. Were you were about to say we're doing the Lord's work. You were saying that. You were about to say it. Yeah. We don't want to cut you off. I was gonna. I, I was actually gonna say you're doing grandma's work. Whatever that, <laughs> okay. whatever that even means. I'll take it. I will, I'll take means it. Means we're a cast of characters. <laughs> yeah. 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 All right, Chip. Uh, yes, yeah, uh, follow me at Chip Chantry. Um, uh, remember, we're going to be at Soul Joel's Comedy Club oh, nice. on December 27th. Me and that uh, Ken Krantz are going to be there in Norristown, That's Pennsylvania. Great, guys. I, I, I don't know him very well, but I, I know enough to know he's a great dude. Yeah, yeah. He, he, awesome. he's booking great awesome. shows. Yeah, You can tell cool. me and Chip. I mean, that's how you yeah. don't get much better. No, on, you do not. On a Monday night in Pennsylvania. Yeah. Uh, Kahuna, uh, you can find me at Arcade Player One on Twitter. Also, my YouTube channel, Arcade Productions. Uh, got some stuff I'm working on for the next year. Uh, that's pretty much it. You hard at work on your uh, Arbor Day album? Is oh that yeah, coming 100, out. 110%. <laughs> <laughs> actually... I really like you, Kahuna. And one of the things I like about you is that you're a voice of God. Oh, 100%. I can't see you. Mm-hmm. I don't ever want to see you. Just like I never want to learn some band members' names, I'm comfortable with this now. I don't want to see you, but I like you. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not kidding either. Uh, no, yes. Yeah. <laughs> it was a He's pleasure, not. though. All right, everybody. <laughs> we will uh, We'll see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>